1: Hey, guys, thank you for joining me on Nurses Out Loud. And with me today, I, you know, I've I've had this guest on before, but I wanted him to go more in depth with his story, because I think this will resound with many of you. Um, I want him to tell what happened with his wife, Tammy, in the hospital and take us back into that time. And, um, and really I, I encourage you all to share this and share it with your loved ones, share it with your family members. I know many of you will sadly relate to him. And so, um, Curtis, thank you so much for joining me. He's with, um, the organization, a thousand And, um, thank you for being here, Curtis.
0: Thank you, Jody. Uh, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to tell our story. Um, maybe uh, drive a few people to a place where they can learn a little bit more about early treatment and some resources that might be available. Um, but more than anything, hopefully, make some folks aware of steps to take and ha- for their plan uh, prior to having to go to the hospital. Hopefully, um, I wasn't that prepared and I thought I was. Um, the thousandwidows.org, you mentioned that, um, is a consolidation of resources. It's a website right now uh, where uh, several people are teaming up together to drive uh, different links, uh, such as um, hotlines for advocacy, um, a place for them to share their story, updated news on vaccines and um, uh, how to get a, a reach an attorney if you need one. Uh, different medical strategies when you are faced with the challenges of being, having to go to the hospital, a place for folks to tell their story, I think I said. But um, in addition, resources that folks don't think about, such as the uh, uh, challenges that are going to be faced of losing an income or what to do with the home or cars or um, things like that. And so we want to put uh, caregivers in place that can help deliver some sound um um, decision-making processes and things to help those folks through that. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are faced with that that um, have aren't prepared or don't have the resources to be able to find it. And we want to do it at no charge. So um, the thousandwidows.org is uh, uh, also working hard at legislation. We're working with the Arizona First uh, uh, Citizens Consortium and um, trying to get some house bills passed the legislation uh we've got a couple uh we've advanced them there's been some changes modifications requested and a few senators that have signed on but not everyone so we still got some work to do there but that uh is part of what we're trying to do as well and believe we can do it in just about every city state muni uh across the country so hopefully more and more people will find us we somewhere around sixty-five thousand people so far have uh, are participating in our platform so we're we're very. Thankful and anxious to continue to upgrade it as best we can and provide more and more resources. I was just on the phone last night with a, a lady in Kentucky who needed help, and um, we reached out to uh, one of the hotline advocacy groups, and they were able to help uh, her family um, that was actually in Tennessee uh, while she was in Kentucky. But um, uh, it's more and more people like you, Jody, are stepping up and making uh, yourselves available to people and. Um, hopefully that goes a long way to helping folks because the sad, the the sad ending to this story of mine and many others is it's still happening today. Mm -hmm. There's not much difference, um, other than people are starting to find out about it. And thankfully they are.
1: Uh, Curtis, what was that? Um, what was that phone call? Like, you know, if we can tell people like, you know, what, what was the phone call like?
0: So the phone call was from a friend who had another friend in another state that was his uh, wife was um, had been home sick. They'd been battling uh, for a couple of days and she wasn't seeming to get any better. They were going to have to take her to the hospital. And he was worried about what was going to happen at the hospital. Um, He wanted to get some therapeutics, didn't know how to get them, didn't know where to get them. Like a lot of folks, um, I said this when I. I think I said this to you. I know I said it to Sean Hannity on his radio show was that, you know, you're not everyone's Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers, and not everyone's got a medical license. They can call the pharmacist and just go, Hey, make this for me. I'm going to come down and pick it up. It doesn't happen that way. So if you don't have those things all of a sudden and you're in need of them, it's a desperate situation for many. And he was in that case last night, trying to figure out a way to get some medicine, uh, get some advocacy. And basically Uh, sort of a a roadmap of what the expectation would look like, both once he, it it was obvious she was going to go, but he didn't want to have to leave her there and he didn't know what to do. So um, rather than tell him what I thought should happen, I got him on with some uh, nurses um, that are giving 24-hour response um, and um, they walked him through some of the things that he could be prepared for and then we also provided him with some access to some of those other therapeutics as well as, uh, some legal, um, not, we didn't give him any legal advice, but we just directed him to where he might be able to find some, um, in his town.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah. Uh, Because prior to,
1: go Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say prior to COVID taking place, you know, people were allowed to go into the hospital with their loved one, right? Um, and, you know, and it always just blew my mind when we were supposed to tell the family that lives with the person that brought them into the hospital. No, you have to leave them here. You can't even come into the emergency room because it's on lockdown. And then the person go up to the floor. Now they're in isolation And, you know, everybody's having this like higher than thou attitude that they know what's best. And, you know, the, the stories were just, it's horrible because people were going into the hospital and now our standard of care was lowered because of the emergency protection act. So the nurses and doctors didn't even need to assess the way that we normally would have And, you know, the patient was in the room by themselves.
0: So that's one of the most interesting pieces um, that consistently haunts me. And I've made it um, I've made the commitment that I'm not going to tell Tammy's story on any platform anywhere. If we can't if we don't start talking about some of the exact things that you just mentioned, Jody, it's so important for people to understand that this is this was not by accident. Um, you know, having good nurses with conscience that actually came in and checked on the patient and worked with the patient that allowed the family to be around. And all of those things would have been normal in any other time in history. And now all of a sudden the hospital adopts a protocol overnight. Mm-hmm. They stop doing other uh, kidney, liver, brain, cancer, any, any, any other surgery, all that stuff. They changed their entire business model overnight Mm-hmm. who author, who authorized that in from that hospital and who created the incentive plan to get those people to do that right. that didn't happen by osmosis that didn't and one hospital didn't just scratch their head one day and go hey I think I'll just do whatever Banner's doing let's try what they're doing that didn't happen these are billion dollar organizations multi-billion dollar organizations that had that stopped their business model and flipped it on its ear overnight overnight. Cleaned out the wings of hospitals, got rid of nurses that pushed back like you, that were challenging regular traditional care, exactly what you just described. They got rid of them and brought in contract nurses that from outside the country that they could sign on for a week or two at a time, pay them 10, 11, 12,000 bucks a week and move them on to another hospital uh, down the road who never knew your, your, your loved one's name. All they knew was to fill the chart. Whatever the chart said, that's what they did. So if it said draw blood, that's what they did. They didn't come in and ask how you were doing. They didn't do any of that stuff. Half of the stuff was being done out in the hallway.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They didn't even care. You got one visit a day uh, from the, um, well, Didn't depending on who was, who, who was caring, but it might have been a pulmonologist. It might have been an infectious disease person. It might have been a charge nurse, but it, it was only one visit a day. And uh, that happened usually in the morning, and then you, they were never available for the rest of the day. So there was no com- communication, and all that those rotating nurses did was fill the ticket for whatever those people indicated had to happen. The thing right. was, with- the,
1: the, there was no there was no critical thinking that was allowed to be done on on stuff that we normally would have done. Like, doc, why don't we have an antibiotic on board? for uh, prevention of secondary infection since that person's laying around, right? And not able to get up and move. Why are we not doing that? Why are we not giving steroids? Why are we not giving albuterol nebulizer treatments? Um, you know, just the basic standard of care. And then what people don't realize too, in in my hospital and many other ones, the doctors didn't even go in the room to see the patients. They were getting... Yeah, they were charting report received from nurse due to lessening covid exposure. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that nurse that cared for, you know, 3 to 5 different people, they could go in the room multiple times during the day, but the doctor that may have seen 30 one time couldn't even go in the room? Pharmacists weren't even going in the room. I mean, I got an award Uh, 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 essentially from a pharmacist that said, thank you for helping us out because when I would get the patient on admission, I would do the med med rec. I would go through all of that and then tell the pharmacist. So the pharmacist didn't have to go in the room.
0: It's tragic. And that's exactly what happened to us. We, Tammy was diagnosed with pneumonia in the emergency room. we had uh, gone to a Christmas event, um, and the in, my entire family, my children, my grandchildren, uh, all of our relatives came down with COVID over the over the over that Christmas period. Um, both Tammy and I were sick. We uh, didn't know we had had COVID before um, uh, and um, had recovered fine, uh, and. Been around it a bunch, and um, so we weren't worried about anything uh, from what we understood. There, we were, you know, we were okay, we were healthy, we didn't have any issues, no underlying health issues or anything like that. So, we were fine, and we were down a little fatigued for a day or two, but then we were snapped back, coming back to life, doing normal things. I went and got fitted for golf clubs. Tammy used to love to um contribute to our family, and my son owns a string of Airbnbs, so she would go to the Airbnbs and clean them up for them or do windows or leave a note and just be special. That's she loved doing it. So she was doing that thing. And then um, all of a sudden around, you know, the end of the year, uh, she started complaining of being fatigued again and feeling like she was congested and like, you know, we, and we've been together for 40 years, Jody. So we treated each other for everything um, and thought for sure that, you know, she probably just had some version of pneumonia. You know, we in fact, joked it was just some walking pneumonia. Probably you'll be fine. And so we went through the first couple of days of January thinking, you know, she's going to be fine. We're just going to snap out of it again. And, um, on the evening of the fourth, I, 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 she had asked me, um, uh, to make her some dinner. I did. And then I said, if you're not feeling well tomorrow, we're going to, I'm going to take you to the urgent care and we'll get you some antibiotics for that and and get you treated so you can, you know, start feeling better. It's been a couple of days now and you should be doing better by now. Um, that next morning we did, I got up and uh, we got dressed and we ran down to the, the urgent care. And the only reason we went to urgent care was because uh, we had lived here for 20 plus years and moved away. And only in 2021 did we return. Um, our kids were, had moved back here. Uh, we wanted to come back here. So in 2021, we moved back here and we were busy doing life. Um, we moved into our forever home. We were having a blast following the grandkids everywhere. And just doctor wasn't the first thing on our mind. So urgent care, I didn't know the area all that great, but that was down the road. So I found it and we drove down there. They weren't open. Um, So we joked a little bit about coffee and um, I took off to try and go get a refill on coffee. And I accidentally turned into what it, what ended up being the the banner emergency room uh, road in Mesa. And I didn't Again, I didn't know the area very well, but um, as we drove down the road, she um, said, you're taking me to the emergency room now. And I said, well, I don't know. Not really. And she said, well, I think that's probably where I'm going to end up. And it really hit me because I couldn't figure out how why she would feel that way all of a sudden when she had been sick, but she wasn't feeling like she needed an emergency room. So we got up there, she said, Hey, can you get me a wheelchair too? I'm super uh, fatigued. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I got out got the wheelchair, got her into the room. We walked in, admitted her. Um, she was low on oxygen. They gave her a little thing on the wheelchair. She was getting three or four liters, something like that, sitting there. And she was doing fine, lucid. We were talking just about what was next and who we were going to see that afternoon if we got this taken care of right away. Uh, They got us into emergency room. Uh, Emergency room nurse was super nice, uh, kind lady. Uh, Worked around, you know, 15 or 20 minutes before she said, hey, I got to take COVID tests and we're fine. Do whatever you got to do. Don't care. Um, And then she did that. She left again, came back. They hooked her up to an IV. Um, She was dehydrated. Uh, they started giving her some fluids. Um, We were there for probably about 40 minutes in the emergency room and the emergency room nurse came back and she goes, hey, you you definitely got pneumonia. Um, We're going to see if we can get you a room, get you some treatment and we'll get you out of here. And we said, oh, great, great. That kind of is exactly what we thought. And then she said, as she got up to open the door to wheel us out, she said, oh, by the way, your COVID test was negative. So we said, yeah, okay. Yeah, figured. I mean, we weren't, thought it was probably pneumonia, but, um, uh, they wheeled us up in the elevator. We got up to the floor and, um, you and I have kind of talked about this already a little bit, but they opened the, the, the elevator doors and things didn't look right. It looked like a movie set people. Everything was in the hallway. Everyone was in these, you know, hazmat type gowns and full face shields. And, and it was weird. And I thought, Wait, we're going for a room for pneumonia. This is weird. What's going on here? And Tammy was laying down, so she didn't see it. And I didn't, I figured, oh, well, they must just have this must be the only floor available or whatever. So as we peruse, as we got headed down the hallway uh, and they got to a room where we were going to go in, the um they it was two big double doors. It was a large room. They the doors opened and there were six or seven white coats that met us. And I, I turned back and looked at the the emergency room nurse, and we our eyes met, and she was not comfortable with that. And so uh, she, the one of the lead nurses that had met us in the doorway, came out and took the the cart from her and kind of started to push her out of the way. And she said, "Oh, she, no, she's here for pneumonia." And she goes, so "They communicated for a few seconds, and they pushed her away." And they pushed her, Tammy into the room with me, and we walked into the room. There were six or seven white coats in this room, and um, there was a RN, a, a respiratory therapist, a um, uh, there was a charge nurse, um, a pulmonologist, an infectious disease person, um, an RN. I, there was a, a tech. There was there all of a sudden we were overwhelmed with all these people, and then there was this uh, person I'd never heard this term before hospitalist. Um, and I had had i had I'd had seven surgeries in 30 months on my spine and extremities, so I'd been in the hospital a lot during this period. I'd never heard of a hospitalist, never. Um, but to me, he was Satan. The he went over to the laptop where she was kind of you know sitting base or where they had positioned her, and he started basically calling out plays uh, telling people what to do how to hook her up how much to give her of whatever how much to, and and I interrupted him a couple of times and said what what's going on and he said uh well she's uh she's got covid and I said no 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 she doesn't have covid she's she's got pneumonia um he said no I've seen this a thousand times this is covid she's got covid um we're going to treat her for covid and I said well no no you're not um hold on I want to have a conversation about this and uh, Tammy said, yeah, what, what are you talking about? Uh, we were just down in the emergency room and the nurse told us that it was negative. He goes, yeah, we, that's not in the system. So he goes, I'm judge uh, based on my experience, this is COVID and we're going to treat it like this. And so I let me, said,
1: let me stop you right there because this is, this is what happened, right? Um, they changed the ICD 10 code very early on. I, mean, I think in May of 2020. So, what would normally have been needed to have a di- a test that confirmed it. The doctors were able with one or with two, with two different symptoms. So somebody could have said, I have diarrhea and I have a congestion. They could say, and they did, this is COVID. They called it presumed COVID. And what a lot of people don't realize is that our numbers that we have through the CDC, there's no differentiation. It is COVID, positive with the test, and presumed positive. So this sounds like what happened with with Tammy. Because, Curtis, let let me just paint the picture right. They wheel her up in a wheelchair to the, the floor or on the gurney? In okay. a gurney, yeah. She was only on a few liters of oxygen.
0: Correct.
1: She was, was she able to get off of the bed and walk to the other bed? Oh, yeah. Okay. So now you have an ambulatory patient that was able to, to move herself, only required a few liters of oxygen, and she's met in a room with six, seven different people. That is not normal. That that is that is the scene that you would see with a trauma patient coming up from the emergency room to the ICU. Okay. And that's
0: what we, we were completely taken back by it. And Tammy was instantly nervous. Um she her practicing. Or her primary physician, uh, all of her most of her life here in Arizona, would refer to it as sort of a white coat syndrome. So she was a little bit nervous just being around all of them and wasn't sure how to take it. But um, I asked the guy for you know some clarity. What what do you mean? What's the treatment policy look like and protocol and all these? What do you what, what's going on here? What are you guys going to do? And he said, Well, she's got COVID. I said, We're not treating her for COVID. I until you know I know for positive what she has a positive test or something. No, you're not. She has pneumonia. We're going to get her treated for pneumonia. And Tammy said, just hear him out, Curtis, please. So I listened to him say, okay, we won't do anything um, right now. We'll just get her on an, some antibiotics. A um, um, He referred to it as some, some sort of a pack thing. I don't know what that, I can't remember at the time what it was, but um, I, I basically. The Z-Pack? Thought- uh, yeah, I think it was like a Z-pack. I felt like it was a vitamin pack and maybe some antibiotics, not large doses. Everything was just like barely the minimum requirements to m- maybe get her started on some care um, and some fluids. So that was fine. Um, they He called out a few plays. I think he got frustrated and he left because um, I wouldn't go along with any, where they were going to go. Um, and so I went and sat down, we sat down, me and Tam visited for a little bit, a couple of times, a, a brand new nurse came in, uh, who were literally, literally was brand new. And every time she would come in, she would say, do you want me to give you the vaccine? And at about the third time, Tammy was so frustrated. She was said, like, Curtis, please tell her not to come back in if you know, I don't, yeah, we're done. I, I'm fine. And so we talked a little bit more and the, uh, pulmonologist guy came back in and he said, um, I've treated 4,000 people just like you. You're going to be out of here in a day or two. You're fine. He said, we're going to get you out of here. No problem. And he walked out. And so we sat for another hour. That rookie girl came back in again and Tammy asked if she could just reposition the bed so that it was facing the one window in the room. You, You know, AZ, we got a lot of sun. She just wanted to be facing the sun. And so when the girl did, she bumped the, the oxygen thing uh, that was connected to the wall uh, for the first time. Uh, and it was at like seven liters at the time. That's sort where of the pulmonologist guy had it. I had said it. Yeah, seven liters. And um, she bumped it and it kind of ratcheted up to like almost 13 liters and it was making a noise, like a whistle. Uh, so Tammy was a little bit bothered by it and she asked if she could turn it back down Or what had happened is what she asked. And I said, the girl bumped it. And so I asked her, can you fix that? And she said, uh, by now, I've been there for almost four hours. You know, we just in and out people checking on her and no one's really doing anything. And our position is that she's just going to get these antibiotics and this fluid. And by the next day, she's going to come home. You know, she'll be fine. And um, the nurse comes back in. She can't adjust it. She gets it down. It won't adjust for her stay. It goes to 10 liters. It's still not where it was when, it, when she bumped it. So she goes out and, um, and asks someone to come back in to, to assist her. And it's a, another nurse comes in who wasn't part of the welcoming committee. First time I'd ever seen her. Must Maybe a shift change of some sort. But um, when she came in, she went to the laptop and did the checks and all this and, you know, didn't even say hello to Tammy. Um, um, Looked over at me after she ran through her little checks and said, who are you? And I'm Tammy's husband, you know, just waiting for her to go to sleep and then I'm going to take off. Um, And uh, she said, no, you're going to have to leave now. And um, I said, oh, how come? I don't understand. I've been here all day. Uh, Why do I got to leave now? She said, well. Uh, it's COVID protocol and you're not supposed to be here. And I'm like, we, but we don't have COVID. We've already been through this with all the other people where she doesn't have COVID. She's never tested positive. She, we're, I'm not leaving. I've been here all day. And she got really aggressive and, um, uh, I was trying to maintain some composure, but so I didn't upset Tammy. I said, can you just please fix the oxygen and get it back to where it was so that she doesn't, um, have to listen to that and she can be more comfortable, and she said, yes, but um, you're going to have to leave. And she got up and left. Me and Tammy sat there for maybe another 10 minutes. And then the door opened up with three security guards. Three security guards um, came over uh, to the, into the room, co- asked me to get up, which I did. Um, and um, they said, it's time for you to leave. And I said, well, I'll leave. But I'm, I mean, I'm not going right now. I'll, I'm going to wait until she goes to sleep. Um, I don't, she doesn't need me staring at her all night long while she's sleeping. I'll leave, but I'm not going to leave until I have a understanding of what the treatment plan is going to look like for her, for this pneumonia and, um, that you guys aren't going to do anything that she doesn't want done. So I said, and I turned to Tammy and asked her if she was okay with that. And she said she was, so the security guy came over and tried to physically grab me. I turned my phone on. I'm not much of an editor, so I'd never done it before. I ended up getting a lot of boots and some voices, um, but I just basically, I wouldn't leave. So they called the police. Oh, and my gosh. By the time. <laughs> yeah. By the time that happened, um, Cammy was pretty upset and I was uh, starting to get agitated that I was having to go through this for what just didn't seem this seemed so out of place for a hospital. And I'd heard stories before, but, man, I did not think this was real uh, and so they came in I said, look, I'll leave. The police officer was at least kind enough to, to let me to uh, let me say my piece. I said, Get, give me the head nurse and tell me what the treatment plan is. Nobody has communicated what they're going to do with my wife. And the only thing they've, prom- they've said is they want to give her an injection in the belly. They want to do all these things. And we don't even know why, but no one's talking to me. So I need a better plan. I need to hear some communication. Get somebody to help me. I'll gladly leave. So yeah. the nurse head nurse comes in, Kurt, um,
1: uh, hold your thought there. We, yeah. we have to, we have to go to a break um, okay. when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off um, guys. Um, make sure that you're listening to America out loud on, on your, you can download the talk radio app. You can get it on iHeartRadio can listen to the podcast. We have so many different shows that air 24 seven on this network. That is bringing you the uncensored truth. So I encourage you guys to check out the other shows and share them with people. We'll be right back. AmericaOutLoud.com.
0: If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. Working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio: The Liberty and Justice for All. You already know Genesis Plus H O C L is your best defense against viruses, but did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything.
1: healthycell.com code out loud Okay, Curtis.
0: Um so they they were they were kind enough to let me visit with uh, the nurse and the nurse said we won't do anything. Um, she said they the hospitalist said she has covid. There's no report in the system. I said, how can it be negative downstairs, four floors down and it not be in the system? I just don't believe uh, this is very uncomfortable. And she said, I don't know why it's not in the system, but it's not. And I said, well, we're that bothers me a lot. We're not doing any COVID related anything um, if there's not a, any kind of a positive test for her. Otherwise, the she was diagnosed with pneumonia. I want you to treat her for pneumonia. They, she said, yes, that's what we'll do. And so I turned and, you know, you're a professional nurse, those big whiteboards. I wrote my name on the right whiteboard and I said, um, no remdesivir, no sedation and no high flow oxygen uh, without my approval. And I wrote my name and my phone number and my email address. Um, and I turned to Tammy and asked her, I said, babe, are you OK with that? And she said, yeah, that's perfect. We don't need any of that stuff. Um, and so. Um, I said, okay, I'll see you in the morning. And I didn't know that I was going to be trespassed. I didn't know that I wouldn't be able, when I got there in the morning, that there were only certain hours you could see him. And I didn't know that I was not going to be able to see her unless either I convinced them to remove the trespass or I, I was able to get escorted. So as it turns out, I, um, I got there in the morning, second day, day two, this is January 6th. Um, oh I forgot to tell you Jody in January uh, on the first day when we got there when we were when we were going back and forth about her diagnosis regarding covid I said well if she has covid what's why don't you just give her monoclonal antibodies and they said oh we, yeah we, we she doesn't qualify and I I said why why wouldn't she qualify isn't that basically what you guys do for for people that have this and she's he said the hospitalist told me yes but in her case, she doesn't qualify, and I said, well, why, "Why? Why doesn't she qualify?" And he said, "Well, on January third, uh, the Biden president uh, Biden passed a, a new law that they you had to qualify for the distribution because they were changing how the monoclonals were going to be distributed, state by state or agency by agency, whatever it was. So now there was a new methodology in order to qualify for that treatment, and she didn't qualify." When I asked what that qualification was, he said he wouldn't tell me but he would get back to me. I know what it was. She was just too healthy. I, after I found out what they the the ranking systems for how they qualify you, she was too healthy. She wasn't in, in too sick. So, had it been before January 3rd, apparently they would have given him to her no matter what. After January 3rd, she she had to meet some qualifications so they wouldn't give him to her. I asked them about ivermectin at the same time. They said they don't uh, they don't mess with that. It's against their hospital protocols and policies um, and that they didn't have any evidence that it worked anyway. So I said, fine. And that was early in the whole argument at the very beginning when the hospitalist told me that it's COVID. I know it's COVID. I bl- I've seen it. It's COVID. I don't care what the test says. Uh, that's what happened then. So sorry, day two, I come back thinking that I can, you know, I'm going to be able to go in. I didn't realize that I was going to be in trouble at the front desk. So as soon as I got there, security came to the front desk, they escorted me up to her room. Um, I was able to convince them to not file the trespass. Uh, you know, I guess there's a legal P- maneuver that has to take place. The hospital chose not to do it, but had told me that I was. The security guard got took me up, up to her room and stood in her room for a few minutes and then left, thank God, when I asked for some privacy. He at least was kind enough to step out. Uh, and me and Tam talked a little bit. She said she felt great. She felt like she was going to get better. She. I asked her um, what the doctors had said, and she said the pulmonologist had been in and said she's going to be fine, maybe another, maybe one more night, and she you know be able to go home. At that time, her oxygen was, I think it was at 13 liters. Um or 10, I can't remember uh, exactly, Jody, but they hadn't gotten it back down to the seven where it was. And at the time, I hadn't slept all night. I was uh, online and I was calling everybody I knew to try and figure out what is going on. What's the next thing that they will do? What should I be watching for? How do I make sure that she's protected? How can I take care of her? And all of these things. So I hadn't slept all night long it was two o'clock in the afternoon when I got there. And again, these guys had made their rounds and even if they came in and seen her in this case, they had, Um, but she had no idea what was going to be the next step or what was going to happen. And I just knew enough that I had heard that, you know, putting, getting high flow oxygen made it worse. Whatever was going on in your lungs was going to make it worse. So I said, just don't let them do that, babe. Just tell them you're ready to go home. I'll get you, I'll get you come and pick you up. And she said, yeah, they're, they're telling me that I, you know, I might have a heart attack if I was to be moved right now. And I said, that's BS. Nothing's going to happen to you. We, we'll get you all the care you need. Two. So that was day two. Um, she was, we, we texted all night that night, uh, back and forth. She was alert. Everything was good. Um, the morning of uh, day three, uh, during the evening of day two, my son and I, both my boys and I had been working really hard at trying to figure out a way to get her out of that hospital. We wanted her transferred out. So we found a doctor that would take her under his care and he was going to treat her with um, ivermectin and had a had a a high vitamin dose plan strategy. I don't know everything about it, Mm -hmm. but he was prepared to take her and he's a well-known physician um, uh, and he sent the request in to have to uh, transfer her out to his care and to a different hospital and he would take her uh, uh, take care of her from that point on. I got there that morning on the, the third, day three, uh, January 8th, and um, and they acknowledged that they received the transfer. And in fact, the, the one nurse who was some, another nurse I'd never met before said, you're lucky, you know, he's well known, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I could care less. You know, I just want her out of here. This feels so gross. So the um, uh, they acknowledged that they had a transfer. Tammy was nervous about it. That afternoon, right after I left, Tam texted me and said, um, uh, I've got a new nurse. Her name is Karen. Um, She's a Christian. She says that, you know, it'd be better if I just stayed here and didn't transfer because I could risk having a heart attack. And so I'm texting because I can't call her. I can't talk to her. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with her and her phone. So I'm just texting her back saying, don't worry about it. We'll, we're, we're going to get this taken care of. They've got a transfer. Doctor wouldn't put a transfer request in if he didn't think he could take care of you and you'd be safe. So you're not going to have any issues. They I don't
1: understand where they're coming up with this, having a heart attack.
0: Right. So get this, that, that night, Um, We're frustrated me and my boys because we're not getting anywhere with these guys on where they acknowledge the transfer they said the transfer was in in place they could get it done at 2 48 in the morning I get a text from Tam and she says "Uh, don't be mad but they put me on high flow oxygen and I can't be mad because what good will that do for her to read a text from me about being upset but I know it's a place I don't want to be and I know it's She didn't need it. I I knew that this this was going downhill in a hurry. They had a transfer. They could have gotten it done. Now, all of a sudden, she's on high flow in the middle of the night. I get there in the next, uh, I head there that morning on day four. It's uh, 10 o'clock. You can call in and get updates at 10. You can't see him till two. I call in at 10. The nurse says, uh, a different nurse that has been there now that night. She had 20 some different nurses, 21 or 22 different nurses, Jody, during this entire 15 day stay. And half of them were contract nurses from outside the country. Didn't know her name. Um, Day four that morning, I call in at 10 o'clock. I get an update from this guy named Scott, who has cared for from sometime in the middle of the night till now. He says, yes, she's doing great. She's doing really good. She'll be fine, man. She's she's a legend. Okay, great. That's fantastic. I'll see you at two. And I'm heading to my son's house because we're a wreck. We can't figure out why they're not, um, you know, moving her. So I'm on the phone with a, a friend of mine in Scottsdale who's trying to put me in touch with the judge. I want to get a temporary restraining order. I find out that um, they're they have they're threatening to take medical power of attorney if I leave if I take her. And I can't believe that this is happening. How can they have power, medical power of attorney, but it could be a threatening situation. One of the reasons I believe that they make you combative. You know, there's a lot list. I won't give her the quality of care she needs. She's on high flow oxygen. How can she go home on high flow? Whatever was going on, it was a disaster. And we're trying our best as a family to figure out how we can navigate this and get her out of there. They call me back at 1030, not 30 minutes after I'd already talked to them and asked me to come to the hospital. And I say, of course, well, yeah, but why? I just talked to you guys. Everything was fine. They said, no, we we need you to come back. Um, They just want to talk to you. So I'm thinking maybe it's because of the early, you know, challenges I pushed. Maybe it was because of the transfer. I don't know. Maybe it it was all good. So I flew back there as quickly as I could. I got there, went to the room, the the floor where she was at, uh, the nurse that I had talked to, the Scott guy. Uh, was nowhere around. In fact, there was nobody around. Finally, somebody uh, came to the front and, and got the Scott guy. I asked what you guys wanted to talk to me again. He goes about what? I don't know what you're talking about. I go, I don't know. They just called me. Where's Tammy? And he goes, okay, hold on a second. He goes down, looks in her room. She goes, Oh, he, she's not here. I'm like, Oh my God, what is going on? How can you guys, uh, he says, hold on. Oh, she's down in ICU. I'm going, what is she doing? What, what's going on? What? Yeah, he takes me down to ICU and um, I walk into the ICU room and there's one dude in a white jacket and then there's a bunch of nurses and scrubs, five or six people in there. And my wife. With nothing more than a nasal oxygen. She's not on high flow. She's totally lucid and we're looking at each other and she's crying and. And I'm upset because I don't understand what we're doing. We were just told she was going to go home. She had pneumonia. There wasn't anything for us to be worried about. The, the pulmonologist says to me, "She this has nothing to do with COVID. She needs this intubation in order to give her the best chance of recovery. We need to do this now. I said, why do we have to do this? She was fine. No, we have to do this. And so I go through the gambit of, what other alternatives are there? What what's what's really wrong here? Um, would you do if this was your mom, your daughter, your sister, your whatever? Would is what you would do? He said, "Yes, this is what I would do." And we need to we need to know now. And I said, "Can I have a, you know? I need, my boys aren't around. I need to talk to my kids. I don't know what's I need more info. Can I have more time? No, this has to be. We have to do this now." I said, "Well, we can't, I can't do it right now." And Tammy was very upset. And I said, "Babe, what do you want?" She goes, "I I don't know what to do." So I asked him to leave the room. They left. I called my sons. I got my two boys on the phone. And they got to, they got to talk to their mom. This is day four after a transfer request. After they put her on high flow in the middle of the night. Now they have to intubate her.
1: That is. That, I mean, that is completely. If, if we had a patient that was needing to get intubated we would call the family and tell them, hey, we're we're going to need to intubate. Could you come down here? Do you want to come down here before we do that? For them to have you go through all of that and then to not know it until you walk into the room without a discussion, it, it, that is completely against our well, besides that,
0: she didn't. She didn't need to be in there. Frankly, I mean, there. I had a transfer request. They why did suddenly? Yeah. They all of a sudden have to put her on high flow, and then suddenly she had to be intubated. Why? Right.
1: Right. I mean, less than there, twenty-four there's different- hours
0: from. From the request.
1: And and there's different steps, right? right? Of, of the oxygen um, pro- th- that you would have to do. You know, right. like if you're sitting here talking to your wife she's in totally the ICU loser. with a nasal cannula, right uh, it makes no sense.
0: No sense. So we're trying to figure this out. And she's scared to death. Her mother uh, was one of the first patients in Washington State to die from COVID. And I took her to the hospital. Me. Right. I took her mother to the hospital, an emergency room in Vancouver, Washington. They, I spent four hours with her. I left the room. They locked me out. Told me I couldn't come back in. That was in July of 2020, mm-hmm. June of 2020. No, July of 2020. There'd been very maybe a couple thousand people. She was one of them, and seven days later, she was dead. So the intub- intubating, what Tammy was scared. And we couldn't figure out why. There was no evidence. They hadn't said things had, got, had gotten worse. Every time we talked to them, things were fine. She was going to be coming home. No problem. Uh, she just needed to rest and relax. Um, the um, the boys talked to her. Um, her and I prayed. And we just went up, said, okay, if this is going to help her so she can come home, then, then we'll have to do it. And she agreed. I walked out of the room and they um, intubated her. Uh, My oldest son showed up within about 30 seconds after that to see his mother's condition. And that went on for about four days. When you're in ICU, you don't get an opportunity to talk, to go into the room during that period. You have to stare through the window. And most of the time, all the important details are written on the window Uh, The person in this case, again, didn't even know her name uh, when I would come down there. And you only get 15 minutes. During this time, we're praying and praying. I have thousands of people that are praying to try and uh, do everything we can to help get her out of that room and get a path home. Uh, Four days go, go by. And um my youngest boy, I, he was living in Portland at the time, and um we flew him down here so he could be here. Uh he was he decided he wanted to go for the last two days. He just felt like it was a good energy and a vibe him and his mom had. So he went and um um on the, the fourth day of being intubated, uh he FaceTimed me with her. They had taken her out of the room and she was sitting in a CCU room. Um Uh, tearfully joyful but tearful and uh, couldn't talk because of her sore throat but um we were ecstatic that obviously that had occurred she was only at that time on seven liters again nasal whatever you called that Mm -hmm. and they said she'd be coming home in the next couple days that now had been a total of 10 days or so out of the 15 and um she was doing fine. The boys, uh, Corey was going to see her uh every day and spending an hour or two with her. And I would go, I, we would alternate. So there were two days following this. We're on about day 12 of the whole experience when she texts me. Um, first she she called me actually. Um, and that's a call you don't want to get, you know, you just don't want calls at two in the morning from the hospital where your loved mm-hmm. one is. And, That call came at like two something in the morning. Nothing good happens at night in those places. Um, And uh, she was panicking and she said, can you please come and get me? And I could hear the whistling from the oxygen in the background and I could hear two people arguing, but I couldn't make out what it was. I said, put me on speaker. So she did. And I could hear the nurse that was caring for her at the time. Her name was Holly. I'll never forget Holly. Um, and um, she was arguing with the respiratory therapist because the respiratory therapist wanted to ventilate her again, according to hospital protocol. She was whatever they were calling it was she was um, she was going to have a heart attack or
1: desatting? Were they yes. saying desatting? Yeah. yeah.
0: So they said they needed to vent her, and Holly was saying, "No, she's fine. She's going to be fine. She's having a panic attack, and her husband's talking to her. She's going. To, I asked him to quit arguing, please, just." you know, take it out of the room. I'll talk to her. So I talked to her for a little over an hour. I got her to calm down. She calmed down and I begged Holly to, you know, I said, I know you guys won't let me in, but what's the what, you know, I can't wait till two o'clock to see her. There's just no way. And they said, she said, no, I'll get you in at seven. So uh, I got there at 7.00 AM that morning um, visited with her. And she was, yeah, her, her body was so jacked up that frail little thing was just beaten up from all the injections and the moving around and things. But she was beautiful. And she told me how glad she was to see me. She said, I told them you were the only one that could walk me off the ledge here. And uh, so I stayed with her, and hung out for a little while. The pulmonologist came in, the hospitalist came in and I said, what the hell happened? She was on seven liters on her way home. And now you guys have her on high flow again. And she's having these. what's going on? And he says, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's he goes, we did stop the steroid protocol. And I go, What steroid protocol? What are you talking about? And he said, Oh, we have a 10-day protocol on steroids. And um, we started it at a couple of days into her stay. And today yesterday was the last day. And I go, Well, I don't know anything about medicine, and I certainly don't know, I'm not a doctor, but it seems to me like maybe you should get her back on it. Um uh, and he goes, well, I'm not saying that has anything to do with it, but I'll get her back on it. And I said, OK, good right now. And he goes, well, we can't do it right now. And I have to be careful because I don't want him to push me out of the building. I'm concerned like hell about what's going on with her. And that was labeled combative in the very first instance. So I am I have to be cautious about how I talk to him and you know how I, I can't be too aggressive. But I'm saying, can you get it done today? Yes. W- OK, well, just do you call him up or wha- tell me how this goes? And he says, well, no, I have to get approval. Okay. Well, can you get the approval? Yeah, I can get the approval. When will you do that? Well, I'm going to do it today. Okay. The pulmonologist guy comes in and uh, tells her that uh, t- turns to me and says, Hey, we're going to move her back up to that other floor and, and get her some uh, different care. But um, she Tammy says, well, can he go with me? And he goes, yeah, for right now, but it's not going to, it won't, won't last because it's not policy, but, uh, both of us were just fine with, okay, I'm going to go now. So I went and uh, went with her into the room anticipating that I would have to leave that room, uh, you know, right away um, shortly after that. But I stayed with her, caressed her, visited with her. We laughed and joked. She was fatigued. She was so tired from all, all the the night, you know, that whole night of battle and all that. And um I don't know what they were giving her for sedation things, but I, you know, they were, they were sedating her off and on all, all the time. There were times when I would ask her, or text her, I wouldn't hear from her for hours, and she'd say, "Sorry, I just woke up." And I'd say, "Why did you? How come you were sleeping so much?" Anyway, they yeah. um, there was it was day um, day twelve of the entire event, um, and we had planned to go to sleep that night. I was, I had stepped into the bathroom a couple of times when people would come in uh, and they were all different nurses. So they didn't know if I'd been there for an hour. They didn't know if I'd been there for all day. So half the time I was able to just sit on the couch and pretend like nothing happened. Other times I would step into the bathroom and, and then come back out before, you know, after they would leave, but I would, I was always with her. And so the, that night I spent the night there that night and um, I was up all night watching her just to make sure that, you know, things are going okay. She was on high flow, of course. And um, that morning uh, she woke up and we had breakfast. Um, she had lunch, two full meals. She was so lucid and full of life and said to me, Curtis, I guess the first day I feel like I can, I'm going to go home. The pulmonologist in the hospitals came in. They said, what's going on? You you shouldn't be looking this good. You This doesn't line up with the data. And Tammy said, I don't know, doc, but I'm going home. And when they left, we visited some more. We played checkers and Sudoku and did some other things. And um, she said, "Oh my god, I can't believe I finally feel like you know I'm going to be able to go." We planned that night exactly. Just we're going to get you down for some rest, and tomorrow morning we'll start doing whatever we have to. The hospitalist guy came back in and said, um, "When was the last time you had a bowel movement?" She didn't know. They she they looked at the chart. She goes, "Well, it's been five or six days. We should get it done." and he told somebody to do it. So there, he was supposed to get steroids for her the day before he hadn't. He, now they're going to do do something to clean, help clean out her system. That night she went to bed the next morning and the blood, the nurse came in um, to uh, draw her blood. She was slow to um, respond. So I whispered in her ear, "Hey, babe, they're here to take your blood. And she rolled over and her eyes were about the size of 50 cent pieces and She said, I'm having a panic attack. Can you help me? So those are words you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. But I did everything I could uh, to to get her to calm down. And um, the nurses that were on call that period weren't having it. It was protocol for her to be intubated under those conditions. They turned up the oxygen on the wall. They turned up the high flow as max as they could. They put a mask on her and she was scared. I made a call to my kids and said, I don't know what's going to happen next, uh, but this is, you know, not looking good. Um, an ICU nurse came in, a hospitalist guy came back in. He said, we're going to have to intubate her to, to save her. They're, this can't last. She's got a heartbeat, a rate of like 168 or what, 170. And her body's coming apart. So... So hope we have to, that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. So I walked with her down to the ICU. They put her in the ICU again, and they ventilated her again. Um, that next day, I showed up to check on her um, for my 15 minutes, and she was prone. And they had these two towers of machines on both sides of her. It looked like she was wired up for some alien convention. It was gross. Uh And um, I went home that night at two in the morning. The nurse on call called me and said, I think we have to do some surgery. She has some leak, something leaking in her cavity is all I heard. I called my boys. They met me down there. The surgeon wasn't there, but he arrived shortly after. He Mm -hmm. said, um, I can't turn her over. She'll die. So I can't do a scan to find out where I need to do the surgery. So no matter what, she's not going to make it. You guys need to basically say your goodbyes and make this as painless as possible. So my boys went upstairs and stood in the parking lot and tried to figure out what their life was going to look like. And I stayed there until she passed. And That was the extent of our experience for 15 days for a healthy, active, athletic, loving, beautiful, sexy woman with no underlying conditions, no drugs, no alcohol, went in for pneumonia, diagnosed with pneumonia, 15 days later, dead.
1: Curtis, there's so many of these same stories. And it's like it—it's just it doesn't even feel like this is real life. Like, how did we get here? How did we get here? And and then we wonder like, what's the purpose in this? In all of this? I don't know, I, but there's,
0: somewhere there's there's an email, there's a voicemail, there's something where somebody set out to do this. They had a choice, Jody, at the very beginning. They could have on right then on five liters of oxygen and that taken us up to that room. They could have Mm -hmm. said to us, hey, your best bet is to go home, get some, you know, this or that, stay home or get a home nurse to come take care of you. They could have done that. They could have done some other things, but they chose to treat her based on a hospital protocol that is wrapped around incentives. There was no other thing, no reason to put us through that or her through that. None.
1: And and you know, I I thank you for being here with me today, Curtis, because I, at the at the end of it all, it's it's hospital protocols that took precedence over paid patients, and it was all for a payday. I mean, it just essentially was, and it's such a hard concept to, you know, to have us wrap our head around that. How did so many people become complicit in all of this and allow this to just continue on? I mean, my, my heartfelt apologies for everyone that I I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Honestly, it's like, I can't apologize for my healthcare workers that didn't uphold their ethics that didn't shout and scream when we saw what was happening. And, you know, I, I thank you for sharing your story with me and for so many others. Uh, I hope that you guys will oh check out a thousandwidows.org. But that's all the time we have for today, friends. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. This is nurses out loud Shining a light in the darkness It's time and they-